Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Faith Under Fire by Pastor Sean Wood. Thank you for the privilege this morning of meeting together. Father, I thank you that you're here right now as we open your word, as the letter to the seven churches would have us to know that those with an ear hear what the Spirit has to say. This morning, we want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to the churches. And so, Lord, I pray only to be a vessel this morning. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be free to move in our midst and speak to our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open them. Get those babies out and uh, turn to the book of Revelation. No S on the end of that, by the way. Uh, Turn to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2. And we're going to kick it off at verse 8 in a moment. Most people here will know that uh, one of the first jobs I had was repairing car radiators. And uh, brother Ken, Ken's a brother from uh, the radiator world. And uh, what we used to do with radiators, we had a variety of different radiators from earth moving to cars and all that sort of thing. But uh, one thing was it all ended the same way. It all ended with us uh, taking the radiator to a big water bath and we had cranes and everything for the, some of the bigger stuff, and we would put them into the water bath, and we would test them. And uh, whatever work we'd done on them, and whatever had been completed, every radiator underwent a test. And the way that we would test the workmanship, the way we would test the, the, the validity and the integrity of that radiator was we would apply pressure. Uh, nothing's really changed, uh, both in the radiator world, but also on the church front. Sometimes pressure comes. Inconvenient truth may be sometimes God allows pressure. I could rock your theology a little bit this morning. And... As it was in the radiator world, we would, we would test these radiators to make sure that the workmanship was good. Always was on mine, of course, but the workmanship was good and that uh, the integrity was good. So tests come on our faith to test the authenticity and the integrity of our faith. That's what the word test means. That's, that when we're testing faith, that's what it means in the Bible, testing the integrity and the authenticity. I, I don't think I'm speaking out of school right now to know that there's a number of there's a number of questions being posed upon churches and believers. There's a number of, there's a number of external elements that uh, threaten to place pressure upon us as believers. And we are being asked many questions. I'm going to answer a couple of them before we go any further this morning because a lot of people have got a lot of questions about what's coming up. And uh, there's one question that the book of Revelation asks us. There's one question today that as we look at the life and, and what's going on at the church of Smyrna, there's one question that's being asked of us, and I'm going to tell you what that question is at the end. So you have to stay awake for the next probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50, hour and a half or so. Well, <laughs> uh, but let's answer some of the other questions right now, um, because the church is going to come under increasing pressure. Uh, one of the things that the world wants to know, and one of the things that we need to decide before we go any further, is where it is that we are all going to stand 
That's the most important question right now. Uh, where are we going to stand? Uh, most people will know that uh, some of the clouds that are kind of looming on the horizon are, you know, the roadmap out of COVID looks like, unless you're doubly vaccinated, you can't come to church. Well, I want to, I, I don't care what the ramifications are. This is going on YouTube. So I, I really could not care less. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is Jesus never stopped anybody from coming to him. We will not stop you. I don't care what colour your skin is today. I don't care how many relationships you've been in. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. I don't care what nationality you are. We will even let you in if you're a Kiwi. And I don't care what your vaccination status is. And I don't care what your vaccination status is. The doors are open and you can worship Jesus Christ in this house. My, my focus and my concern is actually not on what the, the government's going to do and what, when's the next lockdown and, and what if they do this. I'm going to kind of steer us towards where I believe our focus should be as we move forward. But I want you to know that uh, I, I don't care about any of those things. If you were a Samaritan in the first century, in fact, if you were a Samaritan woman who had a very bad reputation, Jesus still spoke to you at a well. If you were a leper and you had to ring a bell as you were walking saying you're unclean, Jesus would lay his hands on you. Uh, What is my hope and my intention? My prayer really is this. I don't want to have a talk about vaccination. That's a personal decision. Uh, If you are are for vaccination or if you are against it, I want you to know whatever position, I don't want to know. Uh, I, I don't want to know. It's your decision what you do. And I don't believe anybody should be pressured to make that decision. Uh, 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 and I can't control what will happen externally. But let's put, let's put vaccinations aside for a moment. Let's put COVID aside for a moment because, you know, the reality is, when, particularly when we're here gathered together, those things aren't important. He is important. And... We think, I love, the, I love the book of Ecclesiastes because at the start of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived, he said, you know what, nothing's new under the sun and he's right. You know, in 2,000 years, we're going to discover that nothing's new under the sun. We're going to discover that external pressure comes on the church and it does so and it comes upon our lives to change our orientation, uh, uh, the orientation of our worship and, and where our focus is and where our attention is. And we are all being asked a very, very important question right now that I will answer when we finish today. Let's have a look at the church of Smyrna just briefly as we begin to wade through the waters of what's going on in this church. Uh, the church, for those that have been to the motherland, Tasmania, uh, for those that missed us last week, uh, we, we learned that uh, last week we learned that Ephesus was about the size of Slobart, or Hobart, excuse me, about 200,000 people. Uh, don't, that's why they won't let me back, Beck. They said, no, you, they said, you, you can go, but you can never come back. But uh, for those that have been to the motherland, uh, Smyrna would be about the size of Launceston, about 100,000 odd people. Uh, very odd. Uh, and so uh, about 100,000 people, it's, it's about, it lays about 50 kilometres north of Ephesus, but Smyrna was enormously prominent and enormously important. Uh, It was one of the most commercial capitals of the Roman Empire. It had an enormously advantageous port, but there was something else that Smyrna had that everybody else wanted. Everybody else in the Roman Empire wanted what they had. And in 23 AD, we know that a temple was built to honour the then Emperor Tiberius and his mother, 
Julia. This temple, every other city wanted this temple. So we're talking 23 AD, not long after uh, the birth of Christ. But what happens down the line is that this temple in Smyrna becomes the centre for the imperial cult. It's very important because uh, basically by the time the book of Revelation is being written, if if you were in the Roman Empire, you were expected to go to one of the 40 major temples, the one at Smyrna being the biggest one, and you were expected to light incense next to a statue of the then Caesar and yell out, Caesar is Lord. A little bit more about these quirky dudes, the Pharisees, in a moment. But here's something important we need to know. Uh, Here's some really, really haunting words. If there's some confronting and haunting words in the New Testament, it's these. You know, Pontius Pilate walks Jesus out before all the crowd and says, Behold your king. And the then high priest Caiaphas yells out, We have no king but Caesar. That's very haunting words. When you say the most important person in my life is Caesar? A little bit more about the Pharisees in a moment. Let's begin where uh, John begins as he writes to the church and to the angel of the church at Smyrna. Write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Before we go any further, before we step on into what is the message for Smyrna, what we need to know is this. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. What is, what is Jesus saying here? What is, what is God saying? Uh, there is nobody before me. There will be nobody after me. I am the all-sovereign, all-wise God. Before there was any planets, before there was a universe, I am. Not I was, I am. And they're powerful words. Jesus stood up seven times in the book of John and said, I am. They're very powerful words. And the sovereignty of God can be a little bit confronting in some respects because what the sovereignty of God tells us is, uh, for those that may have a question here, I wonder what God's going to do next. Is anybody asking that question this morning? Because I've got the answer for you. What's God up to? What's he going to do next? Whatever he darn well pleases Because he's sovereign and he answers to nobody, that's what it means to be sovereign. He doesn't answer to anybody. He doesn't come into our courtrooms. He doesn't answer our questions. He's the sovereign almighty God and this is very important. If you're suffering, if if you're going through intense persecution, if you're suffering like we're going to discover, these guys are suffering, if, if pressure's coming upon you, it is a great hope to be able to look beyond that and know that somebody else is in control. C.H. Spurgeon said that in my darkest afflictions, the sovereignty of God is the pillow that I lay my head. Why? doesn't matter how dark the storm is or how fierce the winds blow. I know that there is one greater. Jesus said to his disciples one time, let us go to the other side. On one of the roughest stretches of water in the Middle East, he said, let us go to the other side. And halfway across, the wind is blowing, the waves are coming inside of the boat, and Jesus is having a schnooze up the front. How do you do that? When you know that God is bigger than the waves? When you know that God's not going to let anything happen to you that is not for our good and for his will and purpose? Before we go any further, Jesus wants the church at Shmurna to know, Caesar Shmeezer, I am king. 
Jesus is the highest and most absolute authority. The greatest political statement in the universe was the ascension of Christ. When men stood and watched him rise and be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, that's a political statement that says there is not one person, not one government, not one ruler that is ever going to hold a place of authority above me. Jesus is the first and the last authority. What does Jesus have to say to this church? First thing he says, he says, I know. The all-wise, ever-present God knows. If you're, if you're suffering here today, if, if we're under pressure today, and, and please hear me when I say that we may be having our preferences pushed upon, but persecution is a word that I possibly wouldn't use just yet. Uh, perhaps if you were a church in China where they're free to kick the doors down and lock you up in prison and not feed you while you're there and brutally beat you while you're there, that sounds a little bit more like persecution. That doesn't mean we shouldn't stand up for what we believe. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be vocal when our preferences are pushed on. We should be. Jesus says to this church, he says, I know what you're going through. I know, he starts off with, I know your tribulation. I know your pressure. I know your oppression. I know the distress that is coming upon you. That's what Jesus says to this church at Smyrna. They're facing pressure on many sides. Sometimes, often Christians stand in the middle of the road. That's what last week I spoke about, being the officials on the playing field. There's two dividing sides. The problem is standing in the middle of the road is often you cop stones from both sides. A little bit of that going on at Schmerner at this point in time because what we begin to understand is they're facing intense persecution from the Jews as well as what will increase with the Romans. What's going on? What, what tribulation are they facing? Well, as I said, you had to, uh, it was mandated that you would have to go to the temple, light incense and say, Caesar is Lord, except if you were a Jew and a member of Judaism because they were given an exemption. Rome said, look, yeah, no worries. We want to kind of co-mingle with you guys. Whatever. You're no threat to us. So, you know what? You guys can be exempt from doing that. We're going, to, we're going to make you do that. And the Christians enjoyed great peace. Why? Because they flew under the banner of Judaism. They kind of, everybody thought they were associated with the Jews. Everybody thought, well, the Christians and the Jews are one thing until the Jews turned and started persecuting the Christians. What kind of tribulation are they facing? Not only are the Jews violently persecuting them, and I'll I'll go into what that persecution looked like in a moment. It kind of sounds a little bit like this. Somebody can just take your goods and nobody cares. We'll get to that in a moment when Jesus says, I know your poverty. We'll, We'll get to that one in a moment. But the kind of injustice that they were facing was, Hebrews talks about it as well. It talks about the fact that they would go away and visit brothers in prison. And when they had returned, their houses had been ransacked and looted and nobody cared. In fact, sometimes it was encouraged. And the Jews turned and said, you know what? These Christians don't belong to us. We hate them. And Rome said, well, if you're not a part of the Jews or the Judaism community, then you guys need to come and light some incense. Uh, When we finish today, I'm going to introduce you to a very important man that's not in the Bible. Uh, This guy's not in the Bible, but I'm going to introduce introduce you to a very important man that's going to help us to answer the last question that we need to answer. But some of the persecution they were facing was these guys uh, are being hated on both sides. Rome now saying to these guys, uh, if you don't light incense, if you don't walk in here and say that Caesar is Lord, we're going to consider that to be politically treasonous. And we're talking a church that was locked up. Now, imprisonment in Rome nearly always preceded execution. 
the very next logical step was just get rid of these guys. Why is this so important and what is the overarching message to Smyrna to begin with? Listen, you guys might need to decide where you stand before the pressure gets really turned up. I think the message to the church today is largely becoming, God uses pressure. COVID has placed enormous pressure on churches and upon our lives and, and sometimes God does it to get our attention. And sometimes it reveals where we stand and sometimes it reveals some of the leaks that we have in maybe our faith. The next one, Jesus says, he says, I know your tribulation. And he says, and I know your poverty. The word poverty here means, means apparent or deep deprivation. It's, although Smyrna was a wealthy and affluent city and society, uh, these Christians were experiencing deep poverty. Uh, here's the greatest danger that we face in Western society as Christians. Here's the greatest danger, I find is that we measure our wealth by what we have instead of who we know. You see, what you have can be taken away from you. In some countries, that's happening to Christians right now. I remember uh, there was an event that occurred in Tasmania back in... 2013, there was a bushfire that swept over 20,000 hectares, destroyed 170 buildings, sadly took the life of one firefighter, and the estimated cost of the damage was something around like $69 million worth of damage. And everybody's thinking, is there 170 buildings in Tasmania? Yeah, there's 170 buildings in Tasmania. There's not now in Dunalley. What happened was uh, some goose in the middle of a severe fire band decided to light a campfire and go to sleep and the wind blew the fire, it took off and that wasn't the biggest problem but the wind suddenly changed and Dunalley is this little little community out on a peninsula and the wind changed and cut them off and isolated them and people actually filmed it on their phone, they jumped into the Derwent River and they were filming the two or three hours they were in the river while the fire raged around them. They couldn't get out. Nobody could get to them and they couldn't get out. They were very, very lucky. No, not many people, many more people died. Tragic, absolutely. It was like somebody dropped a bomb on Den Alley. And I can remember that when the smoke cleared and, and everybody was allowed back in, I can remember something that struck me very deeply. There was, uh, there was a reporter there uh, interviewing a man that was standing on the pile of everything he used to own. He was standing on his house. The shed where his boat was, gone. Boat, gone. House, gone. Possessions, gone. And this reporter said to him, he said, she said, how do you feel? And he said, you know what? He said, strangely liberated. I thought, what? No wonder everybody thinks we're strange down here. Because what he went on to say was, he said, you know what, I used to think that life was all about what's standing underneath my feet, but he said, I realise I've still got everything because I've got my family. And I wonder whether we can stand upon the ashes and the ruins of everything we own physically and say, you know what, I've still got Jesus. A.W. Tozer said that there is a blessedness in possessing nothing. When we... There's a blessedness in possessing nothing. Why? Because this world has no possession, no hold on us. These guys, it's like, you know, it's bad enough when you're suffering and you're being persecuted, but when you've got nothing, no fishing rods, no golf clubs, 
No cats. <laughs> Strangely liberated, Liz. Uh, Jesus says to them, he, he says something, uh, just what that highlights, he says, end your poverty, but you are rich. You don't have anything in the physical. They've taken all of that away from you, but they haven't taken the greatest treasure away. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 13? Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a, a merchant for fine pearls. And upon searching far and wide, he comes upon one of great value. And upon seeing that pearl, what does he do? He goes and sells everything he has that he could get that one pearl. What's Jesus teaching us? Jesus is teaching us the most, what is the most valuable thing in your life? And when you find Jesus, you will find the most valuable person in your life. Jesus says, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you are rich. And and the slander, uh, uh, slander, it is is blasphemy, it's scurrilous speech, It's it's injurious to one's good character. These guys are running these guys down. They're blaspheming them. Jesus says, I know everything that is going on. God is the sovereign God. God sets the parameters. I can remember when I was playing football, many people will know that I was playing for one team, I swapped to the other team, and then my first game was against the other team. But your team had to provide a referee or an umpire, and the team I used to play for had a mug called, remember Derek? had a mug called Derek, and Derek just gave me absolute bollocks all day. And uh, ping, every time I got near the ball or smelt it, he pinged me for holding the ball, and it's late into the last quarter, and he pings me for holding the ball, and I can remember getting up and slamming the ball down and looking at Derek like I just was a little bit less pastoral in those days. <laughs> and, and my eyes must have said something. And Derek said... Listen, boy, he says, I'm in charge here. And I looked up at the clock on the scoreboard. I said, only for another five minutes, Derek. <laughs> you know, what? whatever's going on in our lives, COVID, all these pressures, all these things that are going on, we think that everything and everybody else is in charge. God's got the clock. God's got hold of the clock. There's an enormous elephant in the room here. If Jesus knows their tribulation, if, if Jesus knows their poverty, why don't you do something about it? He has. He has. And he has some advice for a church under pressure. He has, what, what does Jesus have to say? He has two things today that he would like to say to a church that's facing immense and increasing pressure and persecution. What's the first thing that he says? Let's keep reading on. Uh, and the slander of those that say they are Jews and are not, that's the persecution coming from the Jews, but are a synagogue of Satan. We'll leave that one well alone. Verse 10, do not fear. What does Jesus say to a church when everything seems like it's going out of control? We're losing control here. What are we going to do? What's, what's Rome going to do? What's Caesar going to do? What are these Jews going to do? Uh, Jesus says, amidst all of that, do not fear. Uh, can I uh, categorically say today that the single defining difference between fear and faith is where you are looking. You see, the enemy, please note as we read along here, it says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. Uh, we need to be categorical. <laughs> Sometimes we fight battles in the wrong 
realm. Uh, the book of Revelation is going to, once we get to chapters 4 and 5, we're going to see that it kind of flips the coin. Often we think that the physical world governs everything that happens in the spiritual world, but we will see that everything that happens in the physical world are ripples of what happens in the spiritual realm. And if you want to fight, if you're being placed under pressure today and you want to fight, uh, then get on your knees and fight. Fight where the battle really is. Fight where the war is really staged. Uh, if you feel led to protest, go and do that. If you want to rally, pro-life rallies and so forth, go for it, speak up, do whatever you want to do. But if you want to fight a battle, the battle is fought in the spiritual realm. There is somebody behind what is happening to each and every one of us. But Jesus says to this church, do not my advice today with everything that's going on, how do, how do we navigate what's happening today? What's, what's the advice for the Rock Christian Church? You know what? Turn the news off. I can remember uh, Lester Sumrall, Dr. Lester Sumrall, before he passed away, uh, got the privilege, and it would have been, I wish I had have been there myself, he had the privilege of going to see Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth invited him to come to his house. So Lester goes, oh, yeah, yeah. All of us, it's like uh, altar boy meets Pope, right? So uh, Dr. Lester Sumrall, he gets up in the morning and he grabs some stuff and he grabs the newspaper and he heads over to Wigglesworth's house and he knocks on the door and Wigglesworth opens the door and he says, you can bring everything but the newspaper, son, no lies in here. problem with mainstream media, the problem with the internet, is waiting through to find the truth. If you're sitting here today going, I wouldn't mind some truth. Well, I found some for you. And I would encourage everybody here to stop fearing and change where your focus and attention is. Get your attention off the statistics, get your attention off all the debates that are going on and get your focus on Christ. What was Peter's problem when he got out of the boat? Jesus said, get out of the boat. He gets out of the boat and everything's going swimmingly. But everything goes pear-shaped. What? When he starts looking at the wind and the waves, he begins to sink. The message to the church at Smyrna was, do not fear. I'm the one that holds the clock. COVID will end when I say it will end. We, right now, we don't... Here's a reality. We have no control over what the government's going to mandate. Are we going to be in lockdown next week? Probably not because the football's still on. But uh, uh, the reality is, uh, are we going to be in lockdown? I don't know. Uh, When will COVID end? I don't know. Uh, All of those things we may not know, but how we react is one thing that you have a control over. Uh, Chuck Swindoll says that faith is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react. My encouragement here is turn the news off and open your Bible. Focus on Christ. Reading on, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And these guys were about to suffer some intense stuff. We're going to cover one of the guys that suffered who's actually in Schmerner at this time. And Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. Are you going to stand is the... That's the question that's going to be asked of Schmerner. Are you going to stand? Will you remain true to Christ? I want to introduce you to a man that had a beautiful testimony in a moment. But, and for 10 days, notice that? God says, I'll cut it off. 
I'd like to turn to a passage of Scripture. I wasn't going to share this, but this is... This probably sums up the posture of life that each and every one of us should take right now. You can write this down and read it later on, but as we're navigating everything that's even happening right now and and we ask ourselves, how do we respond? Well, I think we've been given an example. Uh, The first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, verse 21, speaking of Jesus, Peter says this. He says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Listen to the description that Peter gives us. It says here in verse 22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When when he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did Jesus do? What example does Jesus give to all of us? It says, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. That word entrust in the Greek means commit or to hand over. What did Jesus do when he was facing that hour? You see, we often think that Jesus was in full control, but Jesus says to those that had come to seize him in Luke, he says, your hour is now. What's Jesus saying? You guys have got control now, but there's a set time limit. You know what? When when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't know how many times the soldiers were going to whip him. He didn't know how far the distance was to Golgotha. He didn't know how many times they would slander him and spit on him. He was out of control. So what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to give control to somebody that's above all of these guys. I don't know how many minutes and hours I'm going to have to hang on the cross. I don't know what it's going to look like. What does he do? He says, I just entrust myself to God. I hand myself over to him. Right now, when's COVID going to end? I don't know. When will the lockdowns end? I don't know. Will life ever go back to normal? I don't know. What do we do? Let's entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. For some of you, will be tested for 10 days and you will have tribulation. What's the second thing Jesus writes? He says, be faithful. Faithfulness, we often mix faith. We think faith is a one-time thing. I've got faith in Christ. Five minutes later, it's gone. Faith is measured in a lifetime commitment to Christ. You see, when John writes his gospel and he uses the word believe, it wasn't just a quick, I agree with some facts. That's part of it. But those facts need to form convictions in our lives. And when John uses the word believe, he's talking not about a five-minute repeat these three sentences. That's not, what, that's not what John meant. John said, this Jesus will so overtake your life. It'll be a lifelong commitment of trusting him and trusting your life to him. No matter what comes, believe looks like I will stand. That's what faithfulness equals. It equals a lifetime commitment. Of following Christ. Be faithful. Faithfulness, uh, the word in the Greek here that is used, means to be devoted to duty, soldiers. Sincere and unwavering devotion despite our outward circumstances. It looks like dependability despite the weather. Often we sit around. I, I, I used to listen to a lot of fishermen in Tasmania. So you go on fishing on Sunday, well, I'll see what the weather does. You know, you just got to make a decision I'm going fishing anyway. Ecclesiastes says, those who observe the wind will never sow the seeds. We're waiting for everything to line up. Faithfulness looks like no matter what comes, 
no matter what the weather is, I'm going to stand for Jesus. To bring this to a close, I'm going to ask Stu if you could come back and slightly play. But as I bring this to a close today, I want to introduce you to somebody very important. As I said last week, probably one of my most favourite apostles is the Apostle John. Uh, the Apostle John, for those that were with us uh, over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that he's the only apostle that actually dies a natural death. He dies late into his 90s. Uh, he ministers at Ephesus, uh, the church that we spoke about last week. He ministers there in his dying years. Eusebius records that those that would transport him from his dwelling place to, to the church meetings, uh, not just on Sundays, by the way, uh, every day, uh, as they were... Yeah, you heard me. But anyway, as they were transporting him, he would say, love one another, love one another. But today I want to introduce you to John's apprentice. John's apprentice was a guy by the name of Polycarp. Some people here may have heard of Polycarp. Polycarp was actually the Bishop of Smyrna. In 115 AD, he was called and designated to be the Bishop of Smyrna. He, he, he spends his time ministering in this troubled city. But trouble comes to Polycarp. In 155 AD, Polycarp is arrested for refusing to burn incense to Caesar. And he is invited to openly and publicly renounce Christ. Just think on that for a moment. The Romans were not nice people. The Romans, if they were good at anything, they were good at killing people slowly. Polycarp is invited. You just, just, just say these words and your life goes back to all the comforts and pleasures. I want to share with you Polycarp's response. Polycarp says, 80 and 6 years I have served him. And he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? There's two really important words. You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. I love this last bit. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. I'm going to read that again. 80 and 6 years, he says, I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How many people are sitting here today saying, you know what? Look back over my 21 years. He's done me no wrong. There are people here that are consider We don't have anybody over 60 here. But How many people can sit here and say, you know what? I've had many storms in my life, but he's never done me any wrong. He's always seen me to the other side of the lake, no matter what the wind and the waves look like. Polycarp says, 80 in six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. <laughs> but you are ignorant. What a, what a statement. You are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. When Polycarp finished saying this, they did exactly what they promised they were going to do. They, they tied him to a pole and they took him out into the public square and they prepared the wood and they lit the fire. And when the flames took no hold of him, in the end they dragged him off the pole and they had to spear him to death because the flames had no, not even touched him. You see, Polycarp, the flames didn't touch him this life or the next. 
And Polycarp helps us to not only understand what the actual main question is, but also to answer it. The main question today is not about vaccinations. The main question on the church today is not about COVID. It's got nothing to do with any of that. The main question today is who sits on the throne of your life? And Polycarp helped us answer that question. He said, you know what? I don't care what you do to me. Jesus sits on the throne of my life. You see, Polycarp didn't decide that five minutes before they dragged him in. Polycarp decided that many years before. Jesus is going to take the number one place in my life. He is the king and he is my saviour. I ask you today who sits on the throne of your life. One thing pressure does, for want of a better term, it sorts the men from the boys. We start to see what's valuable in in not only our lives, but I I tell you now, whatever is a priority in your life, whoever it is that you value, whatever, whatever you hold deeply, the more pressure comes on your life, the more we will see it. Polycarp, the only thing that was precious to him was Jesus, and you'll never take that away. Can we stand in his presence as we finish today? There are people here right now that feel like that church at Smyrna. They're like, you know what? The pressure's been turned up. There's people here maybe that have fears, maybe you have anxieties that you need to set down today. But can we prayerfully look into our hearts as we stand before him today and ask ourselves the question, who sits on the throne of my heart? Because that's all that matters. On Monday morning, the most important thing is who occupies the throne of my heart? Father, as we stand before you, we repeat the words of Polycarp. You have never done us any wrong. Jesus, we hunger for many things. We are distracted easily by many things. I pray that you would captivate our hearts, captivate our attention, that you would captivate our affections, that you would captivate our desires. Our desire is that you would occupy the throne of our hearts and that we would stand for you no matter what comes. Jesus, thank you giving us the example I want to thank you Jesus that when I was still your enemy you bore the whip for me I want to thank you Jesus that when I was a distant rebel that wanted my own life you still chose to walk that hill of Golgotha for me I want to thank you Jesus that when I had no interest in the almighty creator of the universe You had every interest in me and you took all of my sin and shame to the cross. May each and every one of our response be that we place you on the throne of our hearts. Keep each one and bless each one, I pray. As we we finish this morning, if you need prayer, then the front is open. If you've you're sitting here today and you've you've never allowed Jesus to take the seat of the throne of your heart, then I give you that opportunity.
I pray as we go that you do so under God's blessing and may he keep you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.